Good morning. It's good to see you here this morning on a chilly fall morning. I got up this morning. I usually get up and walk a little bit early and pray some. And the sun's coming up later, so it was late enough for me that I got to see it popping up and I could see my breath in the air. And it was one of those mornings with the seasons changing that it was like, oh, people write poems about this. Um, but I, I didn't write you a poem this morning. Instead, I just wore my cold weather outfit. <laughs> Welcome to the humor. Um, it's been a couple of weeks since I've been up here with you. We're picking back up in Matthew chapter 6. If you want to turn there in your Bibles or devices, it's also going to be on the screens and it's in your worship guide. And we're going to be uh, verses 19 through the end of chapter 6. And, and some of those we covered the last time that we did this together, uh, but it connects, I think, both the beginning of the chapter and the end, so I wanted to keep it together. And as you're turning there or, or looking for that, I did want to say thank you to Lou Beltran and Eric Moreno for teaching for us the past couple of weeks. Um, two weeks ago, Lou did Psalm 23, and he gave you that great, accurate, real-life picture of me straying off the path and Darren hooking my neck and pulling me back on. And I just want to say that if you were here the last time that Lou taught over the summer and he had those Photoshop pictures of me and him playing basketball and him dunking on me and all that kind of stuff, the one two weeks ago of me being a, a lost sheep straying off the path and somebody pulling me back on, way more accurate to reality than the ones of him winning a basketball game against me. So we're, we're moving him along to the realm of truth each time he gets up here. And that was a lot more accurate. And then Eric, thank you for teaching last week out of Matthew 4. And I thought that in honor of illustrator extraordinaire Eric Moreno, that I'd start with an illustration today. He inspired me. So we were out of town last weekend because um, my mom was retiring for the second time. And the organization that she's been working for for the past several years had a big retirement hoopla thing for her and invited all of us to come in. And then while we were in town, we went with my parents to Kings Island, which is a theme park just outside of Cincinnati. And usually it's just like Sydney and Emory are full on, you know, like mega roller coaster, biggest hills, fastest stuff. Like they want to ride that sort of thing. But this time of year, they also do a fall fest there where they've got games and prizes. And so the last time that we had been, uh, I think it was last year, it may have been two years ago, but the last time we had been was, do any of y'all have like elementary age kids that are huge into squishmallows right now? Like, I mean, Sydney and Emory are all in. Like we go squishmallow hunting, they just... It's like, what do you want to do today? Squishmallow hunting. Can we drive to 18 stores, walk in, see which squishmallows they have, and if that's not what we want, walk right back out, go to the next store. So, and it's, also, and it's almost like, like an illegal drug. Like they call it squish. Like, do they have squish? We got to get some squish. Do they have squish? So anyway, like last time we were at Kings Island for Fall Fest, it was... I think before the rage had really started about Squishmallows. And so they had all these kitty games over in Kitty Land, which we don't ever go there now because they want to ride all the big stuff, but we do for this. So they had all these games. You bought tokens, played the games. And the girls were winning like these $10, $20 Squishmallows for two or three bucks. 
And so as soon as we walked in and they realized it was Fall Fest again, Sydney's like, well, we got to go see if they have squish. So we head around to Kitty Land. Well, Kings Island, had, they realized what was going on this year, and it was like buy $10 of tokens and, and get a squishmallow this size for the games. But they still, they won a few squishmallows, and we were just about done and going to go ride some stuff. And then one of the, you know, the rigged theme park basketball games, um, and it's, it wasn't, it's not that they have the full-sized one with the double rim where they make you think you're shooting a free throw, but you're really at 18 feet instead. And, you know, and they've got the, the, whatever that's called, the, like the, where they lay the basketballs. It's not a table, like it's built. But it, you, know, you, you try to shoot and you, you hit your thighs on it, like when you're trying to shoot and can't really shoot a free throw. So they've got those, but then these were like the, the miniature goals where you look at it and it's like a nerf size rim and it's that little kid-sized basketball that you can't shoot with two hands. And if you hit the rim, it bounces three states over. Um, but they had, Emery, tell me if I get this right. It was blue axolotl squishmallows, right? As one of the prizes, which evidently, axolotls, you know, are really popular if you didn't know. And then blue axolotls are super rare. And so you could buy a bucket of the little basketballs there, but you had to hit four to get one of those. You know, it's like hit zero shots and you get the mini prize, which is a plastic egg with nothing in it. And then hit one shot and you get a small and two shots and you get this, but hit four shots and you get one of those. Well, both the girls want a blue axolotl squishmallow, so it's hit eight shots and you get two of those. But I bought the bucket of balls. I've got 13 shots to hit eight. And, uh, I get started, and it, it's not going well. I, I hit four out of the first nine. So we've got one Squishmallow, but I've got four shots left, and I've got to make four. And I don't, you know, if you hit four out of nine, and you've got four, and you've got to make four, it's not feeling real good. And so I step up there, and I hit the next one, so we're at five. And then I hit the next one, and we're at six. And then I hit the next one, we're at seven. And so I got one more shot, and I got to make this one. And I'm standing there, and I close my eyes. And, and I am, like, kind of in my life, I feel like when the pressure's on, when there's something really valuable or important at stake, you know, I've, I've got a history with the girls of, like, making that shot. But all that does is there's more pressure now. Like, they, they assume I'm going to make it. So I step up there, and I take my last shot, It's boat time now. How many of you think that went in? All right. How many of you think I missed? Number eight. Like two-thirds of you think I missed. <laughs> so uh, you are right to doubt me, to fully embrace my fallibility and uh, propensity for error and mistakes, but you're wrong today. I made that shot. <laughs> and so, so I make the shot, and they're both like, I want a blue axolotl squishmallow. Well, the, they've got like four of them hanging around the top. And the girl reaches down, she pulls one out from underneath and hands it to one of my girls. And we're like, okay, we want another one. She's like, well, that's the last one we have. <laughs> I was like, no, it's not. <laughs> And I, was, I said, is there another game where we can go get one or a store? And she's like, well, they're really expensive in the stores. I was like, I know. <laughs> that's, that's why we just won one here. But you just give me an IOU and I'll go to the store. She's like, well, I've got a pink one and an orange one. 
And so I looked at Emory, and I was like, pink or orange, okay? And she was like, mm-mm. And I was like, yeah, I didn't just do what I did. We picked out the blue one. So I was like, well, we'll take that one. <laughs> it's hanging right there. She said, no, that's just for display only. And I was like, well, let's take it down and display something else and just shove it under the, this counter for a second, then you can give it back to me. Well, eventually she did go get a manager, and both girls got their blue Squishmallow axolotls for the day. And I promise that as we work through this second half, of Matthew chapter 6. I think that there's going to be a point to that. And like when you all stop talking and I start talking, and we'll try to get there. Um, but that's where we were last weekend. It is good to be back with you. Um, I'm going to pray for us here in just a second, and then we're going to read this section of Matthew 6 and be asking, what does this teach us about God? And what does God want to say to our hearts this morning as he shows us more of who he is Um, And I'm going to ask you, just so that you can be listening and thinking as we're reading this, to share some of the things that you hear God saying to you this morning, and then I'll spend a little bit of time after that with some of the things that I feel like he's been saying to me the past few days as I've been working through this. And then we are going to take the Lord's Supper together as part of worship at the end and have the kids come in and take that with us as well so that you can be focusing your heart and mind in that direction also. So will you pray with me right now and ask God to teach us? Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the truth of your word. Please teach us right now by your spirit from your word as only you can. Open up the truth of your word to us. Open us up to the truth of your word. Work in our hearts so that we see you and we know you and we trust you and we love you in a way that reflects who you really are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19. And this is Jesus talking. We're in the middle of a sermon that he's preaching from Matthew chapter 5 to chapter 7. And so this is Jesus in the middle of the sermon says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, and your your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. So do not worry, 
saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. We'll stop there for today. What does that teach us about God? What stands out to you? God is our... Uh-oh, I stopped writing. What has happened? Is my pencil dead? No. Well, anybody got an extra Apple Pencil tip? May, can I type on here? Oh, there we go. <laughs> Maybe done it without the uh, pencil today. Oh, now it's working. Let's just start down here lower. All right, God is our provider. We'll see how long it lasts. Uh, can you point us to the verse that you're looking at there? Or a section? I didn't even look up, by the way, when somebody spoke. It was in the middle section here. <laughs> 31 and 32. So do not worry, saying, what should we eat or what should we drink or what should we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So these things that you need, the, the two options here are either I'm going to run around and try to get them for myself, that I have to provide for myself, or I can trust that I have a heavenly Father. You know, and, and, and those two pieces right there here, heavenly as in ruling, reigning, authority over all things, so the one who has the power and the ability to take care of you, but then Father, who loves you, who cares about you, who's concerned about you. So both the one who has the ability to do this and the heart to do this. He's able to take care of you, and he's willing to take care of you. So either you'll run around thinking this whole thing depends on you, and you've got to take care of you, or you can trust because of who God is that he will take care of you. And now, listen, that doesn't mean that you just sit here and don't ever do anything. Don't, and I don't think you're going to take it that way. But it's the difference between I'm doing what I'm doing as if it all depends on me versus I'm doing what I'm doing, trusting him and at peace and relying on him and knowing that as I do this, he's the one who's going to provide and take care of me. That it may be that some of the ways God provides for you is that when you get up and go to work, he provides for you. <laughs> it may be that some of the ways that God provides for you is that he brings people into your life to meet your needs at those exact moments. That, that God often works through secondary means, but to still realize that he's the one behind that. Are, are you frantic and frazzled and worried because you think it all depends on you and you don't know, can I make this happen or not? Or are you at peace because you know who he is? that you can rest and relax and trust in his presence because he is your heavenly father 
who's in control, in charge, on his throne, ruling over all things, able to take care of you. And he's your heavenly father who loves you, who embraces you as his child, who accepts you into his family and provides for you as, as his child. So God is our provider. What's another truth about God that you see? God wants us to seek his kingdom instead of the treasures of the world. And there's a couple of verses here. You know, the beginning and the end is really a good bookend for our passage today that connect this truth. Up here, Jesus starts with a piece of advice and also a warning to us where he says, don't store up treasures on earth. Why? Because they don't last, right? They're temporary, they're fleeting, they're passing away. Like if you invest your life in the treasures on earth, eventually you'll have nothing to show for your life. Like at some point, that's wearing down, tearing up, breaking, going away. You can't take it with you when you die, all those sort of things. But instead, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where this stuff lasts. Like it doesn't get destroyed. It doesn't get stolen. It's not fleeting. It's permanent. It's eternal. It matters forever. And then the same way down here. Seek first his kingdom, God's kingdom, and God's righteousness. That this is the priority. And so, you know, we can build on this truth. God wants us to seek his kingdom instead of the treasures of the world because, and there are lots of truths, God's kingdom is more valuable. than any of the kingdoms, than the kingdoms of the world. God's kingdom is eternal, lasting, permanent. God's kingdom is worth it. And all of that in contrast to the treasures of earth, the things that you can give your life to in this world that will never, ever, ever be worth giving your life to. Like when it's all said and done, if you give your life to the things of this world, you give your life to things that ultimately, eventually, aren't going to be worth anything. You give your life to the kingdom of God, to the treasures of heaven. You give your life to things that are always going to be more, worth more than just this life on earth. Always going to be more valuable. Have a return on your investment that lasts forever and ever and ever. So God wants us, get back up there, to seek his kingdom instead of the treasures of the world because God's kingdom is more valuable than the kingdoms of the world. God's kingdom is eternal, lasting, permanent, worth it. And we could do even more there, but if you want to add, expand on that, or take us other directions, what are some other truths about God that you see? God doesn't, do you say cloak? Clothe. Clothe. Clothe us with worry. 
we do that. So yeah, worry doesn't come from God. When Jesus gets down to this point, and, and, and notice the flow here again, where he says, okay, you can either focus on the treasures on earth and give your life to those things and, and build up as much stuff here as you can for yourself, or you can focus on the treasures of heaven and give your life to that and invest in that. So, and your, he first says it here with where your treasure is, there your heart will be. So whichever one you decide to focus on, if you're pouring your life into the things of this world, your heart's going to belong to this world. And if you're pouring your life into the things of God, your heart's going to belong more and more to God. Wherever you put your heart, that thing's going to become your master. Something's going to own your heart other than you. And it will either be this world or it will be God. I mean, Jesus is point blank right here. You are either going to live for this world and this world will own your heart and be your master, or you will live for God, and God will own your heart and be your master. But it can't be both. And so then we come down here. Do you see therefore right there? Like either you live for this world, and your heart belongs to this world, or you live for God, and your heart belongs to God. And then Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, don't worry about the stuff of this world. Because if you spend all your time worrying about the stuff of this world, if your worries and your focus is on the stuff of this world, your heart's going to keep getting pulled more and more toward this world. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be. If this consumes your time, if this consumes your thoughts, if this consumes your focus, if this consumes your emotions, if this consumes your resources, if this consumes your money, then your heart's going to be pulled more and more and more to this world. So I'm telling you, don't worry about that stuff. And it's not because he really cares about that stuff. He cares about your heart. And he doesn't want your heart to belong to that stuff. So don't worry about that. Instead, and he gives examples here, like don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink. Don't worry about your body, what you're going to wear. Instead, remember who your heavenly father is. Look at the way he takes care of birds. And birds haven't been created in his image. You have been created in his image. And Jesus took on humanity, not birdie-anity, right? Like he, he came to redeem you. And yes, all creation with you, but, but your father loves you as part of his family in a unique and special way. And if he takes care of the birds who aren't created in his image and Jesus didn't come as a bird, how much more will he take care of you? Remember who he is. And then again, why do you worry about clothes? Look, God takes care of the flowers and flowers aren't created in his image. And Jesus didn't become a flower. You, you're created in his image. He's your father. You're his child. Jesus took on humanity for your sake. If he cares about the flowers this way, how much more will he care about you? And so again, remember who God is. How much more will he clothe you? Remember who your heavenly father is. That he already knows what you need. And he's ruling in heaven, and he's your father who loves you. So God doesn't clothe us with worry. We do that. We focus, when we focus on the things of this world, it stirs up in us all sorts of different emotions, desires that result in worry. We create that by not focusing on God. When we focus on who God is, we're reminded of his love, his power, his ability, his goodness, his grace, his care, that he knows everything you need, that he owns everything, that he created everything, that he's already given you 
the greatest gift of all in Jesus, what else won't he do to take care of you? And so worry never comes from God. Worry is the, the opposite of faith, the opposite of trusting God. We can build on that more in a minute, but do you have other truths about God that you want to offer or some application of what's God saying to your heart right now that grows out of this? Either one. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and if you couldn't hear all that online, I'll, I'll try to summarize a little bit of it. But God, God takes care of us physically. He does sustain us physically. Like you breathe right now because God is sustaining your existence. But, and that can also be an and if you, I mean, it's, you can build them together, you can contrast them, whichever one helps you see this more. Because that, that isn't really the main point Jesus is making. Like He takes the physical care of God to make a bigger point, and it's great to see that in this passage. God takes care of us physically, but God also takes care of us mentally, emotionally, Spiritually, you know, one of the ways you could apply this is that your biggest needs aren't physical. Now, your physical needs are real, and Jesus says God knows what your physical needs are, and he's going to take care of you. But every time that he points to a physical need, he does it to make a bigger mental, emotional, spiritual point. Where he says, you know, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink. So there's a physical need. Or your body, what you will wear. There's a physical need, but look at what he says, the very next thing. Is not life more than food? So even though here in a minute he says, hey, don't, don't worry about your food because you can trust your father to take care of you. Don't worry about your clothes because you can trust your father to take care of you. Like he does say that, but he also says something else. He says, don't worry about your life because life's more than food. I mean, don't worry about your, what you'll eat because life's more than food. Don't worry about what you'll wear because life's more than clothes. He's saying there's something bigger here than your physical needs, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And he's saying because you can trust who God is, this speaks to those needs that you don't have to worry. You don't have to fret. You don't have to be afraid. That the fact that God is who he is doesn't just mean that your physical needs are being taken care of. It means that he's offering you what you need for your emotional and spiritual and mental needs to be taken care of. In him, the truth about who he is, that he's offering to meet all of your needs and that your deepest needs are greater than your physical needs. And that's because your life's about more than just the physical stuff of this world. 
Like you've been made for more than just this stuff that you can see and feel and collect and gather and hoard and keep for yourself. You're made for more than that. So, so Jesus like, so if, if you focus just on that kind of stuff, first of all, you're missing who God is. And at the very same time, you're missing the fact that God made you for more than just this. That your life is more important than this, more valuable than this. Your life was created for a greater purpose than just to get this stuff. Like if all you do is get all the food you need and all the clothes you need, your life hasn't been successful. You weren't created for that. You're created to know your Father in heaven and to make him known. You're created to trust him and love him and be in relationship with him. You're created to glorify him in such a way that the world starts to see how glorious he really is. That that every time he provides for you, the real goal is that, that his goodness and love will shine and reflect off of your life and others will see him because of you. That as you trust him, they will see that he's trustworthy. As you worship him, they will see that he's worthy of worship. As you testify to his goodness and grace and love in your life, they will see him as good and gracious and loving. Your life's more than food. Your life's more than clothes. Your life's more than all the things of this world. Your life is about your Father in heaven. And God is meeting not just physical needs, but all of your spiritual, mental, emotional needs because there are deeper things in your life in those areas, spiritually, mentally, emotionally. That he created you as more than just a physical being. Anybody want to build on that or add other things? Application or another truth about God? Verse 25? Yeah. Okay, yeah. So there's a lot of places here that's great where, and I actually had made this list. It was my first note when I started talking, so I'm going to build on what you just said right here. When he says you can't serve both God and money, and listen, it's good for us because money grabs our hearts more than a lot of us want to admit, especially in our culture. And money, it's a great battle for us that we do love money more than we love God, that we do serve money more than we serve God. But I also want you to realize when you look at the entire passage, like some of us may be like, I don't really love money, and we move on and we try to dodge what Jesus is saying here. Money represents all sorts of things here. Because basically what the deal is with money, the reason you love money if you love money is because money can get you something else. And and so I just started making a list. Like, what does money represent? And not all of these will hit you, but I almost guarantee some of them do. And they also overlap, and I didn't try to make them, like, super specific. But but what are some of the things that money can represent for us? You know, that if I have money, this is how I will use it. Like, I want to get these things for myself. Or the reason I want money is because really, like, if I dig down deeper into my heart, this is what I want, and I think money will get that for me. And so money represents things like this for us. So we, different people, when they get money, use it for these sort of things. Security. You know, I'm able to get what I need. I feel like I'll be able to meet my needs if I have money. Status. The more money I have, the more impressive I look, the more people look up to me, the more people think certain things about me. Stuff. 
Like some of us really love our cars and our clothes and our jewelry and our shoes and our houses and money allows me to get the stuff that I love. Power. If I have money, I can make things happen. I can get things done. I can get my way. Pleasure. I like to enjoy myself and money allows me to buy things that I enjoy. Achievement. That money is just a marker of what I've accomplished. Because I achieved these things, because I was successful in these ways, I now have this, and when people see that I have this or I know that I have this, it's evidence of what I've achieved. Admiration. I love for people to praise me and think highly of me, and when I have money, they admire me for what I've accomplished. Comfort or ease. Like, I want my life to be easy. I want my life to be comfortable. And money allows me to get a hold of the things that make me more comfortable. Money allows me to buy the things or do the things that make my life easier. Independence. I don't want to depend on anyone or anything else. I don't want to need anyone else. So if I have money, I can do what I need. I can take care of myself. I don't need other people. Recklessness. I don't have to worry, plan, think about stuff. I just want to be able to do whatever I want. And if I have enough money, I just do what I want and not think about it. Self-satisfaction. I can do this myself. The reason I'm happy is because I had money to get this for me, and I'm glad I could do it for me. Not somebody else, not something else, not even God. And you like this list, that which of these things... Uh, that one's really sloppy, isn't it? Does your heart love? Like, which of these things, like, if you really dig into your heart, when you have a desire to have money, it's because I want one of these things. These are the type of things that are competing with your trust in God, your reliance in God. Because all of these things, the question is, will you look to the stuff of this world to satisfy your heart, or will you look to God for these things? You know, and just pick a couple of, like, like security. Do I really feel more secure because I have money in my bank account and a refrigerator that preserves my food and an insurance policy that takes care of me if something goes wrong? Or do I feel more secure because my Father in heaven loves me and knows what I need? But where does my security come from? Admiration. Like, do I feel better about myself because people look at me and say, look what you've accomplished and look what you have, and, and I see these, these physical, material uh, representations of your success, and I'm really impressed with you. Like, is that the type of admiration that your soul wants? Or do you feel worthy and worthwhile because your Father in heaven looks at you and says, I love you. I take great delight in you. I rejoice over you with singing. You are my child. I admire you. You have the admiration of your Father in heaven. Like which one does your heart want? Which one does your heart focus on? Which one satisfies your heart more? Where's your treasure? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so where we started here was that this idea, you know, so much of what money gets us is our wants. I want these things. And I desire them in such a way that I want money because I think money will help me get these things. And that's what my heart really wants. Verse the need of, I need God. 
I need to know my Father. I have a spiritual need that is deeper than any earthly want. I have a spiritual need for a relationship with God that is more more necessary, more drastic, more desperate than anything that I think that I want in the whole world. And so do I see that money can never be what God is? That, That all the wants that money can satisfy and all the physical needs that money can meet, none of it can mentally, emotionally, spiritually meet the deepest needs of my heart and my soul and the reason for which I was created the way that only God can. What else stands out to you? Our lives can either reflect God's light or our own darkness. And, you know, it's another way that we've been saying everything. We've been saying. Like if, if we give our lives to the things of this world and we pursue the things of this world, this world's not the source of light and not the source of goodness. And our lives are going to become about something that is not the source of light. Or if we are focused on God and our hearts turn toward God and our heart belongs to God and God's goodness and love is being reflected off of us, then the light of who God is is shown to the world. And and I'll be honest with you, I think these are the most confusing verses in this section. Sometimes I read them and I'm still not sure if I really know exactly what Jesus means. and I feel almost certain I don't know everything he means. But the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? This comes right after the treasures on earth, treasures in heaven section. And that where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. And so the part of it that I feel like I sort of understand that's connected to this truth right here is Jesus is taking the physical illustration of your eyes and saying, you know, your eyes are the only part of your body that receives light. You know, the, the light comes in this way. And so if your eyes are unhealthy, like this is the thing, like your eyes are supposed to be seeing light, you know, receiving light, allowing light to come in, and when your eyes are focused on light the way they're supposed to be, your body gets the benefit of the light. But if your eyes are unhealthy and they don't work some way, your whole body's full of darkness. And then the same way then, and so then if then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So if this one thing that's supposed to be the source of light is a source of darkness for you, then your whole body's in darkness. And I think that he's tying that to exactly what he just said about your heart right here. Like in a way where he keeps driving everything back to our heart in this whole sermon, and he's saying your heart is supposed to belong to God. And your heart is supposed to be turned toward God. And your heart's supposed to be focused on God. Your heart is your spiritual eyes in that sense. Your heart is what should be seeing and receiving the light of God. But if your heart isn't looking toward God, if your heart isn't receiving light from God, then everything about you is going to be full of darkness. If your heart is focused on things that are darkness and are not a source of light, there will be no light in your life. If your heart is unhealthy, all of you is unhealthy, 
Right? If your eyes are unhealthy, all of you is in darkness physically. If your heart is unhealthy spiritually, all of you is in darkness spiritually. And so Jesus is saying, this is why it's so crucial that you realize that everything that you do in this life, like all the things that you treasure in this world or the things that you treasure in the kingdom of heaven, all of that has an impact on your heart. And what happens to your heart is what happens to you. That this is, this is crucial for you spiritually. Because even think about the way he phrases it here in verse 21. He doesn't say where your heart is, like whatever, whatever you love the most, you'll put your treasure there. He actually flips it around. And he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And he says, so whatever you start to treasure, invest in, focus on, give yourself to, it's like a magnet that pulls your heart there. And the more you focus on it, the more your heart cares about it. And so the danger is that the more you love the things of this world, the more your heart's pulled toward it. And the more your heart's pulled toward it, the more you want to focus on it, and the more your heart's pulled toward it. And it's this you know, the cyclical thing where in the same way, when we come together, even in these moments, it's why it's so crucial that we would speak truth into each other's lives, remind each other of who God is, how good he is, how loving he is, worship him together, like see his glory together. Because as you see him for who he is and you start to focus on him, your heart is pulled toward him. And as your heart is pulled toward him, you start to love him more, which makes you focus on him more and your heart's pulled more toward him. And it is, it is this daily and moment-by-moment moment battle of the world tugging at your heart and God calling you back to him, calling you to turn to and focus on him and see him and see his light and his love and his goodness and believe who he is. But our lives will either reflect God's light as we're turned toward him, focused on him, and his light is shining into our lives, or we turn away from him, and all there is away from him is darkness, your darkness, the darkness of the world. He is the source of light. Yeah, that, that every good thing that we need, God is the source of it. And, and we, in our sinfulness and fallenness, we have taken the good things that God has given us and we've twisted them, we've distorted them, we've polluted them, we've corrupted them, and, and our heart has been infected in such a way by our sin and by the disease of sin that everything that naturally grows out of our heart now is polluted by the darkness in our heart. We can no longer be the source of light except to receive it from God and reflect it back. That so long as we are turned toward ourselves, darkness and sin is what comes from us. But in turning toward God, he offers to us his goodness and his light for us to reflect back to him but also for others to see. Anything else you want to add? Yeah, 
that seek his kingdom and his righteousness, as Adam's pointed out here. And let's come back to that in just a minute. I'll try to pull some things together for us real quickly here as we head towards the Lord's Supper. Um, one of the things that stood out to me, and I've already touched on it some, but I just want to come back to it. When he says, no one can serve two masters. And, and you can phrase this contrast in a lot of ways in this section where Jesus is saying, treasures on earth or treasures in heaven. Your kingdom or God's kingdom. The kingdoms of this world or the kingdom of God. Money or God. The things that you worry about and want for yourself or the things that you trust God to give to you because he's your heavenly father and he'll take care of you. you know, this, this back and forth contrast the whole way. And he comes to, and Jesus is like, and it can't be both. Like spiritually, there is no way to sit on this fence. Like either this world and the things of this world are going to own your heart and be your master and they will ultimately dictate what you do and what you focus on and how you live your life. Or God's going to own your heart and be your master. And he will dictate what you do and what you focus on and how you live your life. But it can't be both. And so just as an application here for all of us this morning, who owns your heart? God? Or the world. And Jesus is saying, will you, will you please look at who they both are and what they can offer you? God is your Father in heaven. He loves you. He cares for you. He created all things. He owns all things. And he offers you a kingdom that will not wear out, tear down, break up, be taken away. A kingdom that will last forever and matter forever. So your Father in heaven, who owns all things, has power over all things, loves you and cares for you, offers you an eternal kingdom filled with his joy and goodness and love. This world offers you a kingdom of darkness that will take everything you give it, including your very life, and in the end give you nothing back in return. That when you get to the end of your life, you will either have eternal riches to show for your life or you will have nothing to show for your life. And listen, I know when we're living in this world, it doesn't feel that simple. But it is that simple. Either God will be your master and your heart will belong to him and you will gain everything from him that he promises. Or this world will be your master and your heart will belong to it one way or the other. All the things I listed up here, like some of those things will be what your life is about or other things that you could add to that list. And when it's all said and done, there'll be nothing to show for your life. And Jesus said, do you see how much better it is when God has your heart? Do you see how much better it is when God is your master? Do you see how much better it is when your life is about God's kingdom? It's better for you. And he's encouraging you. Choose what's best for your heart. And God is best for your heart. See who God is. Trust his goodness. Trust his love. Trust his power. Because when it gets down here to the do not worry section, 
if, if we really boil it down, it's, a, it's another point of application to challenge us. When, when we worry, and listen, I, I, wor- I struggle sometimes. I let my mind start spinning to the next day and the next week and the next month and the next year and the rest of my life and all these things that I'm trying to worry about. And, and so I know what this is like, but when we worry, when you take heavenly father, those two words that we've talked about, the reason you're worrying in that moment is because you're not believing at least one of those two words and maybe both of them. When you worry, you're either saying, you know, whatever this thing is that might happen, probably won't happen, <laughs> but might, whatever this thing is, you're either saying, God can't take care of it. He's not able. He's not strong enough. He's not powerful I've got to be ready to take care of it. This is, it's going to be on me. I've got to be figuring out a way right now to fix this because God can't. And so you don't believe heavenly. You don't believe he is this great, awesome, mighty, powerful God on his throne in heaven who rules over all things. Either that or, yeah, maybe he is that powerful, but he doesn't care about me. He doesn't love me enough to take care of that. I can't trust his goodness toward me. And so then you don't believe Father. And this, listen, this is a challenge for our hearts. When I have to look at every moment of worry in my life and say either I don't believe that God is able to take care of this or I don't believe that God is willing to take care of this. And Jesus knows it. That's why he gets down right here. You of little faith. Why do you worry? You have little faith. The more you trust God, the less you'll worry. The more you worry, the less you're trusting God in that moment. And for some of you, maybe fear is the better word. The more you're afraid of. And worry is just fears of the future. The more you're afraid of, the less you're trusting God in that moment. The more you're trusting God, the less you'll be afraid of the future. Because either he's God and he has the power to take care of it and the love and goodness that he's willing to take care of it or he's not and then you should be afraid but you can't say that he is all powerful and all loving and I'm still afraid of the future the only way you can be afraid of that future is if you don't believe who he is and so Jesus is coming after our heart again and saying okay not just who owns your heart but does your heart believe the truth about God And will you confess when you don't? This is the real key. When Jesus exposes your heart like this, it is not so that he can condemn you and say, well, guess what? You're not good enough for the kingdom. He starts this whole sermon with blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the ones spiritually who don't have the spiritual resources they need. Blessed are the ones who don't yet believe the way they should, who don't yet trust the way they should. And so he comes along and he's exposing your heart right now. He's saying, by the way, that's you. You don't believe who God is enough. Not yet. You don't trust God enough. Not yet. There's all sorts of areas of your life where you don't. And, and our response to that should be, like instead of either trying to dodge that or avoid that or deny that or, or summons up some other external behavior that he already dismissed in chapter 5 where we can prove, no, I really do. That's not what we're supposed to do when Jesus comes through. He's like, let me show you your heart. Let me show you where your heart's not right yet. You know what we're supposed to do when he comes and says that to us? We say, you're right. I confess it. 
I'm sorry. I don't trust you the way that I should. Help me. Lord, I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Help me see you more. Open my eyes more to who you are so I will believe that that is who you are and I will trust you more and out of faith I will live like that's who you are. And so confess it, admit it, and ask him to help you with it. Ask him to keep changing your heart. Ask him to do in you spiritually what only he can do inside of you. And so this idea of the stuff that God provides for you, because he, he does still come back and say, hey, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And so it's not this sharp contrast between the stuff that you need or the things of this world and God. It's The contrast is, does your heart belong to that stuff or to God? And so I wanted to try to give us just three pictures here of the way this can work. And if we think of God as up here, you know, and here we are, and then here's whatever that stuff is, and these are gifts from God. Right? But so often, this is it. We look at the gifts, the things of this world, and we never look to God. And our focus, our eyes are focused just on the stuff, and we don't see God at all. How great is the darkness of our lives when all we see is the stuff of this world and not God. So that's picture number one. You're not going to be able to see them all at once, but hopefully you the same picture every time. Option number two, and this is an improvement. And a lot of times, by the way, I think this is a step that God takes with us. Because like, this, obviously, picture number one wasn't it. But a lot of times, our next progression is we start to see a little bit about who God is. And so we look to God for the stuff. And God becomes a means to the end. He's not really the God of our heart. The stuff, still, the stuff is what I want, but God's the way I can get it. And by the way, if you've ever heard the term prosperity gospel, this is kind of the, the basic problem with the prosperity gospel as opposed to the real gospel, where God becomes a means to an end. Like the real goal is that I get this stuff and get these blessings from God. Not that God's enough in and of himself, but if I go to God, I can get the stuff. Listen, that's better than this because you're starting to encounter God some and you're learning some truths about his goodness and the way he cares for you. But ultimately, what Jesus is saying here is that when God gives you all this stuff, all these things we've given to you as well, it should be reminding you of who he is that the point of him giving you these things is that you will know him more as your heavenly father so that it becomes, we look through the stuff to God. That you receive these things from God and you know they're from God. And the result is not just, hey, I love the gifts more and more and more. The result is I love God more and more and more. That these little gifts, these little expressions of grace are reminders of his grace, of his goodness, of the fact that he is my father, that he does provide for me, that he does take care of me. But it's a reorienting of your whole life. It's a refocusing of your spiritual eyes so that they're looking to him. Through this, through this fleeting temporary stuff that isn't going to last, look through it like it is as temporal as it is and look to the solid reality of who God is 
through it up to him. And I told you we would come back to, to my girls. So I made that last shot. And, and this is a really good thing. I mean, it really is for a dad. They did not run over there and grab their squishmallows. They ran to me, and both of them started hugging me and screaming like we had won the national championship. And, and, and the more I reflected on it, even this morning as I was walking beforehand, like when they saw the squishmallows, and they knew they had to make eight shots on that really, really you like rigged goal, it was, Dad, we trust you to make those shots. We even offered to let Sydney shoot a few, and she's like, no, it's a waste of money. <laughs> she's my real frugal one right now. Um, but they trusted that I was able. And then, just between you and me, if I had missed that last one, you know what was going to happen, right? Like, we're buying another bucket of balls. And it doesn't make it nearly as fun or dramatic if you let yourself believe that. It's like, no, I've got to make this shot. <laughs> it's way better for me mentally but um, I was able to and I was willing to. They believed that about me. And listen, I am a sinful, broken, fallen human being who is an imperfect father. And yet I love my girls enough that I, I want to be able to do something like that for them. Do you know how perfect your father in heaven is? Do you know how great his love for you is? Do you know that he is able to make every single shot? And he's not just willing to buy another bucket of balls for you. He gave his son for you. I mean, he has made the most drastic declaration he could ever make about the way that he loves you. And we struggle to believe it, don't we? That's what it boils down to. I struggle to believe that God's able to do this. I struggle to believe that God's willing to do this. I struggle to believe that God has this type of power. I struggle to believe that God loves me this way. And one of the ways that we can see it here, like an area for us practically, last practical application as a church, is in our regular giving. You know, when, when we give to the church, one of the things that, that we believe is we're giving to the mission of Jesus. This is his church. Jesus establishes the church. Jesus sustains the church. Jesus builds the church. Jesus is advancing the church in the world so that his gospel can be made known. And you all know how we are with our giving the past few years. We, we try to give you an update every now and then. And I want you to see today in the words of Jesus, not in my words or Adam's words or Keith's words, anytime the elders give you an update, it's not about money. It's not about facilities. It's not about stuff. It's about your heart and my heart. It's the only reason it matters. If our heart belongs to God, we will want to invest our lives, including our money, in the kingdom of God and the cause of God, the church of God, the gospel of God. And so we still have room to grow in that area in terms of spiritual maturity, in terms of the love of our heart, and, 
And I don't feel like there's any way for me to really faithfully teach this passage to us without reminding us that that's an area where God's still exposing our heart and saying, you need to love me more. You need to trust me more. See me more and follow me more in this area. And so I'm going to keep praying that God will do that in our hearts and that, that what we do with all of our resources, all of our life, including our time and our money, that it will be a reflection of how our hearts belong to God and how much we love God. And so then when I come to that place, and, and maybe this doesn't do this for you, but it does for me where I'm like, do I fully believe God's ability? Well, no, I still worry about stuff. Do I fully believe God's word? No. Like, I, I don't trust him. The things he says about himself, I don't fully. Do I fully believe God's love and goodness? No. Or I wouldn't be afraid of the things I'm afraid of. There, there, would, be a, there would be an incredible freedom in my life if I fully believed the power and the goodness of God, the ability and the love of God, that God is my Father in heaven. And so I come to this last section here, and Jesus says to us, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And he says it to you and me. And so I have to say, I still don't. I don't qualify for this. And I look at you, and I think, like, if you're taking it seriously this morning, you may be sitting here thinking, I don't qualify for this. I'm not who he says I need to be. I don't trust him the way that I should. I don't see him the way that I should. So what now? (laughs) Jesus tells me to do this, and I don't, not completely, not all the time, not, not first all the time in my life. So what? So Jesus. You know who seeks first the kingdom of God? Jesus of Nazareth. The one who had a claim to it is his own kingdom. And he laid it down and he didn't seek it for himself. And he comes to earth and he, he has so much less here than most of us have in this culture. And every moment of his life he seeks first the kingdom of God. And then Eric took us through Matthew 4 last week and the devil shows up and he's like, here, take it for yourself. Take it now. Do it my way. He said, no, I'm going to seek first my Father's kingdom. You know who seeks first the righteousness of God? Jesus of Nazareth. Every moment of his life, a moment of obedience, a moment of righteousness, a moment of doing exactly what the Father tells him to do every moment of his life, never seeking first for himself always seeking first his father's kingdom and his father's righteousness. And you know what he got for it? None of the things that he promises us. None of the things that you're supposed to get when you seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness. He got death on a cross. He didn't get his needs taken care of. He didn't get his needs met. He didn't get the love of his Father in heaven. He hangs on the cross and he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did you abandon me unto death? You know why he did that? Jesus didn't get what he deserved so that you can get what you don't deserve. Jesus gave up his kingdom so that you can have his kingdom. And as far as Jesus' righteousness, this one, 
blows my mind most of all. Second Corinthians 5 says that he who knew no sin, perfectly righteous, he who knew no sin became sin for us. Gave up his righteousness, took on your sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus gave up his kingdom so that you can have his kingdom. Jesus gave up his righteousness so that you can have his righteousness. And if you will see him just that much, it'll start to change your heart. Just that much you will love this world a little bit less and you will love him a little bit more. And you will trust him a little bit more and you will worry a little bit less and you'll be a little bit less afraid and you'll be a little bit more free because of who he is. And so in just a minute, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together to remind ourselves of, of how he has demonstrated his love for us. And Tasha or Elisa, if you want to go ahead and grab the kids and, and bring them in here for us, and as they start to come in, if you want to be looking for your kids. And as we do this, I want you to focus on Jesus sought the kingdom of God perfectly, and then his body was broken God promises to take care of your body, to clothe your body, to meet your physical needs. And that is not what he did for Jesus. His body was broken. Jesus sought the righteousness of God perfectly. And his blood was poured out for sin. Sins that he had not committed, but sins that he willingly took on himself when he was perfectly righteous. That's why we take the Lord's Supper together, to remind you this is how your heavenly Father loves you. This is what your heavenly Father has already given to you. You can trust Him. You can believe that He is able, and you can believe that He is willing. You can believe His power, and you can believe His love. And I pray that you will see Him a little more today than you ever have that your heart and the eyes of your heart will be turned toward him and focused on who he is. And so we're going to take this together as a reminder and as an act of worship, and then we're going to sing one more song together. And as Keith leads us in worship, I pray that your heart will sing these words, that your heart will declare these truths and believe these truths about God. We'll also have people down here at the front, if you want to pray with somebody, uh, talk with somebody about what God is saying to you this morning, about what it means to follow Jesus or the things that are going on in your life. That's what we're down here for. Or if you just want to come and pray, um, and, and by no means is this the only time that you can deal with God or the only place. This is just the time that we're setting aside that you can come talk to somebody if you want to. So as the kids are coming in and finding their seats with, if you want to be opening your bread and your cup. this is my body broken for you do this in remembrance of me
said, this cup is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. pray with me right now Father thank you that you are our heavenly Father thank you for your power and your love thank you that you are able to take care of us and you are willing to take care of us Thank you that you have shown us that most fully and most completely in Jesus. Help us right now by the truth of your word and the work of your spirit to see Jesus more truly and to trust you more as our Father in heaven because of him. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.